Hello, and welcome back to Eventide Radio, a fan-made Destiny podcast where we have roundtable discussions about a variety of different topics concerning the popular video game franchise. At its core, this show is about having in-depth discussions about the game from a variety of different perspectives. I'm your host, Scotty, and with me are co-hosts Rob and Robbie. Will is out again this week, but we're going to talk changes coming to the new sandbox. Obviously, that is a very hot-button issue lately. Uh, we're going to talk about our favorite patrol spaces and why. And then we're going to talk time-lost weapons, including time-lost Fatebringer, which came out very recently. So, uh, Rob, what's something you've been up to this week in Destiny? Uh, well, I'm still salty because I don't have Vex class, but I did complete uh, every other challenge for the Fatebreaker seal. Uh, so it's just going to be now a formality of running through Atheon checkpoints just to get that stupid Vex class. Um, but outside of that, because I don't want to just be salty, um, I have been uh i the fate the time loss fate bringer that i got is pretty fun and i've already been racking up some kills with it and taking it into a lot of different activities and having fun with it and uh played some iron banner this week so that's been pretty fun awesome awesome robbie what about you well unlike rob i did get my fate breaker title um (laughs) You're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. Even though I still miss the gloves for my warlock, which, you know, is kind of funny. Like, come on, how are they so elusive Elusive for me? Uh, but yeah, fate bringers were fun. I've been helping some people do grandmasters that they were missing for the gilded, you know, like they're trying to catch up and, and I don't have much to do. So, so it's a fun way to pass some time and like actually do some harder stuff. And I actually did go ahead and, uh, well, as uh, some of you guys know, I, I do stream Destiny. And uh, I got some people from the Spanish-speaking side of my community uh, interested in Destiny. So I started doing some, like, streams on, on Destiny in Spanish for them. So I went into, like, I, I haven't run the campaigns, like, uh, Forsaken with my Hunter, for example. So I went and did that with my Time Lost Fate Bringer, and wow and it just destroy everything inside <laughs> it's it's crazy fun and i think it makes people look at the game and, and get uh, a bit hooked uh, i convinced a couple people to already buy destiny so so i feel good. like it was a good week for me <laughs> yeah awesome awesome that's really cool so our first topic we're going to talk about is uh we're going to talk changes coming to the new sandbox so wait wait wait, we... wait wait before we get into that oh I that's what to... i'm doing Oh, oh okay. Ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go, go finish your thing. Oh, no. You were talking about the strike thing, right? Yes. Go ahead. So, so I, I took an action item from last podcast uh, to figure out if there were any other strikes in which the enemy directly engages and or talks to uh, the fire team. And uh, I actually found it while we were in the middle of the podcast, but I couldn't find a good time to, to interject it. Um, but the Shadow Thief strike or uh, Tanix, uh from from house of wolves uh and i actually have the transcript up and uh so i because it just i i always forget about this and it's it's definitely the best part so uh i'll just kind of read verbatim from the the destinypedia um but so varick says left field distortion catch just above you so this is after you kind of engage him for the first time in Uh on the moon 
And then it's a several dregs armed with shrapnel launchers come down from the lift and engage the Guardians. Several vandals and stealth vandals also arrive, and the Guardians kill them all. Soon, Tanix himself appears armed with a scorch cannon. The Guardians fight the mercenary until he retreats back into his ship. He utters a taunt in the fallen language, and then Varric says, Tanix, Tanix has called you out, Guardian. You are challenged in the ways of old. So yes, there is another strike in which someone okay. talks to you. Okay. And of course... And of course, it's one of the more meme uh, you know, uh, strikes because everyone always loves the uh, Tanix has no house. He, uh, he kneels before no banner, owes allegiance to no Kel, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there is another strike in which a an enemy directly talks to you. Uh, and I actually <laughs> think this is probably one of the more interesting and kind of entertaining ones because, yeah, Varix is like translating for you. Uh, yeah, and letting, that is interesting. And letting you know that he's talking trash, so. That's cool. Thank you for yeah. sharing. I guess one other, one other technicality I, I thought of was uh, if you wanted to count this, the corrupted strike, um, Sadia or whatever her name is, at the very end of it, after you oh, okay. quote unquote you, kill her, she does have like right. a couple of lines of dialogue where she's like, oh, where am I? What, that's what true. So if you wanted to count that one, that, that's, that a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good technicality. Yeah. Well, and she like laughs at you. Or, yeah. you know, whatever you want to call that, there is kind of a, a, a dialogue or conversation, if not just kind of a, a taunt. But there is some engagement in that as well. But yeah, yeah, I, I would count I would count Tanix's talking over Sadia's weird screaming noises, though. Sure. Right. Because at the beginning, they do say something, right? Like you have to save her. And it's the other ones, the other two sisters that take hints. But it's just uh, last wish is so dialogue heavy that it just kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, anyways, back to our original topic. We are talking the TWAB. Obviously, this is a very, uh, very big deal right now. Everyone is has varying opinions on a number of different changes. But before we get really heated and before we talk, you know, to just get really salty about stuff, um, let's discuss our favorite changes that have been made to the sandbox. Let's let's stay positive so uh robbie what's what's your favorite change or something that you like particularly about the new changes coming to the sandbox uh so one thing i did see and i, may, I might be wrong here so I, I haven't found anybody that kind of can tell me for a fact if this is the case but the icarus dash is you know is getting a bit of a nerve in pvp because yeah it's, it became like really good and then people complain about it and there's always going to be whatever is on the top is going to get pulled down because we're you know a bucket of crabs but um the icarus dash it doesn't work like a dodge in the hunter like in the fact that it doesn't break uh, aim assist and for controller players like myself it's super noticeable when a hunter dodges, it does, just doesn't track or doesn't follow as much as, as you would with Icarus Dash. With Icarus Dash, you can get shot through it and you can get, uh, you know, just completely destroyed while you're literally dashing. And now on the 12, it does say it provides one air dodge. So I'm kind of curious if they're going to, you know, nerf it, but then give it this hunter ability, which I would be completely okay with that. And just mostly because I know for PvP it's like, you know, it excels at movement and all these things that people love about uh, Destiny PvP. But for PvE, top, uh, top 3 Dawn is also the only offensive solar one we really... It's just you either do well or you do top. 
And if I'm doing strikes and I need to do solar, I'm going to do top because that's the one that kills things. And, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy about that. I hope that uh, it becomes like, you know, good, balanced in between, like not being crazy good in PvP and just stay being a good offensive solar PvE uh, class or subclass rather. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still a bit sad about uh, bottom tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as someone who doesn't play a warlock, what makes Top Tree Dawn a offensive PVE, a good offensive PVE class? Well, is is the super that's offensive? Because the well, okay. yeah, you're on the well, and yeah, of course you're gonna do more damage, and you're gonna have your overshield and all these things, but you're still shooting your guns, right? So it's not like uh, Chaos Reach or 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 any other, let's say, offensive super that it actually the super does the damage. So for Warlocks, this is the super that does the damage. So if okay. I'm running, you know, like just strikes for Synology or for my weekly pinnacle or things like that, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to run top because that's the one that actually hits hard. Yeah, okay. but, but to be fair, bottom tree, reject like your super lasts way longer uh, if you're doing bottom tree. And especially if you have Dawn Chorus on, like it just melts things. So... I feel like it can't be ignored. I feel I, I agree with you, though, Robbie, on a certain level that as a whole top tree just feels a little more well-rounded in what it's capable of doing, whereas like bottom tree kind of feels only good when you're using the super. Um, but yeah, anyway, yeah, just keep going. Sorry. No, that's that's kind of true. But I think that, for example, at the same time, it's like top tree, even if I'm wearing any exotic and I don't care about it because I don't like need it. It's not like I need to have a build. It's just like, oh, I need to run three strikes on solar right. or do something on solar right now. So I just quickly switch to top, even if I'm running like Phoenix Protocol or anything, and I'm still going to do okay with it. And and like you said, the bottom one kind of depends on a helmet that it's actually, right. and uh, I hear this because we have a lot of players that are new to Destiny or that maybe they're new to doing like Master Law Sectors and things like that that don't have the Dunkaroos. And, uh, yeah, I think it's like the same. It, it feels underwhelming in the way that Chaos Reach feels underwhelming without the boots. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, I, I, and I completely agree with you in that even other kind of, we'll call them like neutral type solar uh, exotics, like sun bracers, like with, with the celestial fire that just feels so much better um using sun bracers versus like the the bottom tree dawn blade so i agree with you more of the exotics seem like they're you can take advantage of them even right. more so with with top tree um like claws of ahamkara because you get two melees and necrotic like those melees grips. are so good yeah necrotic grips like for, for low-end pve content it's just like yeah just you know poison everything and they just kind of keep spreading and they on their own and right or, or oh. even karm steam because you get like the range yeah. with Celest nice like I, yeah. I agree in general like it's it's more of just kind of the mindless drop in if i'm going to choose one of the top tree or bottom tree i'm going to mess around with top tree just because there's more mechanical things that you can do with it like the icarus dash and and the the ranged melee and the the dawn blade like super feels pretty good with it as well like it's just a good kind of neutral let's say screw around uh tree yeah and so. you know the, the super is getting a bit nerfed right but i think it's not gonna damage it as much because again like i use it for lower end pve content mostly 
right i, I would i wouldn't take top three down into a gm I, or i haven't had like the need to take top three down into a gm and i don't think i ever will but no. uh for the lower content, it's like really strong. So the fact that it gets like a little bit of a nerf to help things out on the PvP side of things, I right. think is fair. Right. Uh, yeah, so I'm okay with that because I think it's, go it's still going to be like a really good, you know, subclass for, for PvE, just like you said, just to put on whichever fun exotic you feel like putting on and, and just go in and then and have right. fun on, on like strides and stuff. So yeah. Gambit, well, things I, like that, yeah. I, I will say though too, you're probably not going to take bottom tree Dawnblade into higher end content because I think they right. haven't even even with the changes, I don't think there's anything in there that is enough to say, oh, like you're gonna run middle tree if you're doing like GMs or raids, because the utility of it as kind of a a, a support build is way more useful than either top or bottom tree. So yeah, definitely. That's a problem with bottom that it doesn't really um, excel on on neither PVE nor PVP. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I and I think and I'm sure you could. Everyone could come up with examples. I'll say that's kind of the problem with a lot of the the top versus the bottom tree on a lot of the subclasses. Like, there's a few that stand out. Like Night Stalker has a very different utility with like the super and some of the the um kind of the neutral stuff like with their melees but a lot of them like the titan like the the supers feel kind of samey um and and same with like uh um arc strider like the supers on the top and bottom tree feel very very similar there's there's just kind of subtle nuances with like one is the kind of a melee focused build and the other one's just kind of like well, if you sprint, you get your abilities back a little bit faster, and like that's kind of it. Mm. So um, that's that's I think kind of a bigger problem, which I think they have kind of said that they are looking at kind of restructuring all of the other subclasses in the same vein that they've done to stasis. But that's kind of a, a future uh, yeah. endeavor. But be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about that, like the look at void and again maybe i'm just like focusing too much on warlocks because that's what i take into like you know high-end content so that's the one i like go and nitpick every you know, little detail that i see and sure. i don't understand um but on void top and bottom are the good ones well right top top is like you know is the is the dumb blade like the top is the same like you, you know you shoot the giant ball it goes kaboom and you don't have to think about it it's great Right. And bottom one is the one that I have fun with, and I see a lot of people that do high-end content have fun with because of uh, the bower is so nice to keep right. healing and all these things. And and middle one was like the one that's supposed to be kind of like the mainish one or like the you know based off of. Uh, nobody uses that, and it's so crazy that like you you read how they are buffing this thing, and it's like. Increased uh, PVE damage by seventy three percent, which is exactly. insane. And yeah. he's like, "Yeah, but I might still probably don't use it." It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of sad, uh, but yeah, I, I feel that like they're trying. Like they're really trying, and I, I'm happy to see that. Like I see good things. I see a lot of nerves. Um, we can talk yeah. about the other class as well. I don't know. For me, that was the one that uh, stood out the most, like the Solar uh, Warlock. Yeah, but um, <laughs> well, so so I think not to not to deviate, but I think this is kind of related. When we talk about like some of these changes, we a lot of the time it feel like we're kind of 
we're evaluating the efficacy with respect to like let's say gm nightfalls because that's what we consider to be kind of like pinnacle difficult high-end content and at the end of the day no matter some what the changes they make some of these uh tree classes are not going to feel good ever in a gm nightfall like you're never ever going to use nova warp in a gm um even if they do a huge pve buff because the the risk that you're taking by having to go out directly in contact with the enemies to do damage to them it just doesn't make sense because of the way they've structured gm nightfalls where it's like you're right. going to be using you're going to be using a nova bomb because it gives you range or you're going to be using middle tree dawnblade because of the healing capabilities and the damage output that it increases like some of these like th they're going to be fun if you're running just like basic strikes because yeah you'll be able to kind of melt things a little bit easier and it'll be more satisfying to just like obliterate something with nova warp but some of these will never have utility the way that they're structured now i don't want to say never because you know they could change things but yeah. as they stand right now and how we know that gms are designed and even like let's say raids like yeah maybe now you can use nova warp for certain activities like yeah nova warp might be fun if you're doing like uh, the conflux uh, encounter in Vault of Glass because now you, maybe you can take out um, one of the wyverns or one of the overload uh, minotaur or not minotaurs. Um, you take out one of the overload champions uh, with a Nova Warp now. So maybe that's like a possibility. Yeah. So that's that's cool. Um, but at the end of the day, some of these are still never going to have utility in a GM Nightfall as the way that the GMs are currently uh designed and really that's like kind of what a lot of us are looking at is like how is our ability going to be to be able to do gms with what some of these changes are because at the end of the day i think that's what we care about most when it when it comes to like high-end difficult content yeah i uh, i think it's about like mobility I, I hear this from a lot of people lately uh talking after this twap came out especially and others it's just the PvP versus the PvE way of thinking. And I think I can correlate like with the top three done is like when you're doing the strikes, you want to go fast. You want to go right. as fast as you can. You want to clear it fast. And I think that's what PvP is aiming for. Like, you know, how can I be quicker? How can I do this faster? How can I shoot faster? How can I reload fast? All these things. And you're rewarded for being quick and for being agile and for maneuvering really well around your environment. And that's like the top tier uh, PvP, you know, ceiling is that, is like, you know, movement and agility and all these things. Whereas for PvE, like the top tier PvE content is like, yeah, yeah, you know, walk slow, uh, pick around corners, find cover, <laughs> don't move, don't jump because you take more damage. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? So it's like kind of like the exact opposite. And um, that's, I think, sometimes where I'm happy that we have all the options and that we have the subclass and that we have like all these things to have fun with. But I do see like the balancing act can be a bit tricky to, you know, appease both sides of the spectrum here. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I think that's something that needs to be acknowledged. You hit it right on the head is like there'll never be like a perfect concept of balance across the entire game when it comes to PvE for, versus PvP is just some of these builds are clearly designed to be more PvP-focused um, just because of the, kind of the nature of how they play uh, versus PvE. Um, like, w one of the things they even talk about is, like, Middle Tree, Dawnblade, no one really uses that for PvP because it doesn't 
really make sense. Like it doesn't have a whole lot of offensive capabilities, but they did kind of do some changes to it to maybe actually incentivize you and at least try it out in. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's yeah, that's right. definitely something that should be acknowledged, which is cool. I think uh, it makes uh, it's it's clear to me when I see how they went to, uh, about hunters, for example. You know, because you can use uh, top tree or bottom tree solar on both PVE and PVP, and it does yeah. feel good. Like I think the hunter is the one that does kind of <clears throat> the the way that you have to play the hunter. Or I mean, according to me, how I think about it, it's like you in in that case you're actually rewarded also in PVE for being agile and having a lot of mobility and dodging and doing all those things and, and right. hitting your crits and getting those headshots. Like you get just as rewarded in PVE as you will in PvP. So right. that's why I think like those uh, hunter classes are like the most uh, balanced between the both of them. And yeah. so, so it's there, you know, like there, there's a way kind of to do it, but at the same time, it's like the, the, the special things that you can do on like a warlock, which is, you know, it's like space magician thing. It has to feel like a bit different than just like, oh, I get a headshot and I kill like really big things like super right. quick. Uh, right. So, and same with Titan, you know, they have like their own kind of like things that is a bit more than just, you know, landing a crit. And so that's the fun thing about the game as well. And I wouldn't want to see that taken away. So um, as much as I would like to see how they would transition the light subclasses or the classes anyway to how they did uh, stasis, I also feel that having this, you know, dissonance between the subclasses is actually a good thing. So like if you already know that well is like really useful in PvE and actually even a bit abandoned this last season like we saw a lot of other subclasses for the warlock being used especially with stasis turrets and stuff right um as a defensive uh super let's say it's not even the super that is the defensive uh, but just the turret and, and things like that but as a defensive playstyle to go into higher end content or really almost any content over a well um so now bring that up a little bit just for the PBE sake as well because it's um, it's taking like a you know step back somehow and and it felt so nice i i guess kind of like luna factions were before to how they are now like you know it has to go somewhere but i think it like we shouldn't think about it like yeah let's balance them all out and stuff cuz I, I feel like sometimes i sound like i want that but actually don't I, I would be happy if there was like a really strong subclass for PvP and then there was like a really strong subclass for PvE and we could just, you know, have fun with all of them. Right. All right. That's that's yeah. the goal, I guess. Right. Um, I guess to reorient then. Rob, what's one of your favorite changes from the from the new TWAB? Um, so I'm definitely so like I we were kind of talking, I've I've definitely kinda had a change of heart the last like season and a half. Uh, and I've kind of found a new uh, renewed love for for uh, warlocks. And so I'm I'm excited about a lot of these. And I am excited about the middle tree void walker because um, I, I really like void warlocks, like just kind of all the stuff that they do. And that feels in terms of like when you're talking about the game in terms of like space magic, I feel like they hit it on the head um, with with all the all the the stuff that warlocks can do with void and like getting explosions and devour and 
handheld supernova like all that stuff is so cool both in pve and pvp so i'm excited to see nova warp get some love for pve um but it also i kind of get the feeling that some of these changes are going to be useful for pvp like no longer slows movement uh speed while charging uh and it detonates on casts you can kind of use it as like a panic super a little bit uh and then um so i'm excited about that i'm excited to see bottom tree stormcaller get a little bit of love because i that was my favorite sub uh tree uh during like vanilla d2 is i like having like the little arc buddy and uh landfall uh because that was back in d1 one of my favorite supers was using landfall with with stormcaller um so i'm excited to see that get a little bit of love too uh and then ultimately i think the elephant in the room that a lot of people uh, are excited about is the chaos reach stuff in pvp uh because as much as i like to use Stormcaller, I feel dirty using Chaos Reach in PvP because it's so like you just delete everything without any kind of like care. Uh, so it's good to know that it's it like the the beam damage radius is getting a little bit of a hit, and it sounds like they've maybe theoretically fixed the collision stuff this time around. So like I'm looking forward to that, um, and I'm intrigued really by the Top Tree Dawn Blade because um, yeah, it definitely looks like they're nerfing a lot of it. Um, but you were talking briefly, Robbie, about kind of the Icarus dash stuff, and it looks like now it's a little bit more like, look, if you want that second dodge, you need to burn your grenade and use heat rises because that second dodge really is useful. Uh, I agree with you that if if it's going to be kind of a dodge type thing, then maybe it should break aim assist like uh, how dodge like the dodges do for Hunter. I, I'd be curious to see if maybe they are going to look at something like that. They didn't mention it in the TWAB, so I'm inclined to think that they're not adding that as a feature, but it would be interesting uh, to kind of see how that plays out because I, I do feel like Icarus Dash is so useful, especially like when you're first starting out a match, it allows people to get into the engagement so much quicker than any other subclass or character that it's like something kind of felt like it needed to be done about the Icarus Dash because of how effective you are at just just sheer speed getting out into an engagement like nothing comes even close to Icarus Dash so I kind of get why they they nerfed it quite a bit but I'm curious to see how it all pans out uh, so I'm excited about a lot of the Warlock stuff some of the Hunter stuff I'm excited that uh, Arc Striders are getting some love like just kind of all around um, and I'm still I know this is going to be a lot of a, a salty opinion I don't like that the gunslingers don't get any kind of damage resistance. Like, I I feel like it's such a, a high-risk, not great reward super that, like, I understand that it's got the hit scan, uh, like, damage in terms of golden gun, but I just wish there was some kind of damage resistance because I don't know how many times that I've, like, cast my golden gun and just been shotgun right around a corner. Uh, and because you still have to aim with the golden gun, like you just lose your super because someone was able to shotgun you because you have no damage resistance. So I, I would love to see that someday. I don't think it'll ever happen, but that's maybe another conversation for another time. Yeah, actually, yeah. actually, I'd like to to add to prod this. Um, when you say gunslinger has no damage resistance, is it true that it has like zero damage resistance? Yeah, you you take the same damage uh, as as you are without using your super. There's there's no. Wow. It's the only one that gets zero uh, damage resistance. 
That's um, so odd considering it is the most, I guess, skillful super out of but all the hunters. It still hits everything even if you shoot it in the toe, though. And you have like yeah, four shots. And that's, that's and the main aim, though. That's like, that's that's like it can delete a whole team. Like it can really delete a whole team. If, if it you, can, you know. So it that's, can. I think that's why it, it was alright. Uh, well, personally, I feel like it's alright being like that because if I had an overshield with that thing and I could still run around and chase the other, you know, remaining guy that like <laughs> managed to get away. Yeah. It, even if I get sniped or something, yeah, I, I think I would feel like pretty. I, if it had it, I think that people would complain. That, that's how I look at I, and it. That's, and, be, and to be fair, like I said, it has the hit scan, um, the damage, right? So it's like, that's that's kind of the argument because it is an instantaneous delete. And when you're running, is it top tree that gives you the six shots and every time you get a kill, it, it regenerates. Like, it, you, you can wipe a team instantly. It's just the number of times where, and this is like, you can make the argument, well, it's not, it's on me for not having a good map sense. It just... It sucks that you can pop your super and like just get immediately deleted. And like anytime someone I hear pops golden gun, I always am willing to challenge them because it's like chances are I can, if if enough people are team shotting them, you can shoot them before they even get a chance to hit anybody. And that just kind of sucks. But like I get that it's got the hit scan and that it pretty much can delete anything. Um, I wish that it did more damage against other supers because. Like sometimes I will hold off on using my golden gun as a super destroyer, but it just sucks that like you can pop your super and the the that the time it takes to pop it, and then like someone can just throw a dawn blade at you and hit you while you're still like activating it and you lose it. Um, or it takes like two hits of golden gun to kill that dawn blade, and in that time they can get one off. So it's like you can't really use it as like a canceling super. You have to use it super offensively. But you are so squishy when you do it um, that it's again, it's a high risk, high reward, but it still feels like it's more weighted to risk versus reward a lot of the times. All right. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. I can see that. On a more positive note, Rob, you mentioned uh, Arc Strider changes. That's probably my favorite change yeah. in the recent TWAB because, yeah, you said they're getting, you know, love all around and they really are. Right. Yeah. Um, Lightning Weave is now triggered by tempest strike by the middle tree the little slide thing and the timer can now be extended by dealing damage with any weapon and for those not familiar lightning weave is like a really is like a very strong reload buff so that's really cool and it's nice to see arc staff is getting extended increased damage versus pve combatants by 33 percent um just there's just a lot of stuff and you know arc staff is the one subclass i use least as a hunter I um, pretty much never touch it unless I want to use it because, oh, I haven't used this in a while. I'm going to go mess around with it in some very low-level activity. Right. So it's nice to see that Arc Strider is getting getting love for sure, and I'm very excited to use uh, exotics with that because I think Arc Strider has some of the coolest exotics in the game when it comes to subclass-based exotics. Um, I think Raiden Flux is, is really cool. It used to be really good. I remember when that was good. Um, Raiju's Harness is more of a PvP-ish thing. Right. Liar's Handshake would be fun. I'd like to see right. that come back. Um, see how that combines with uh, One-Two Punch. But, um, but yeah, that, that's definitely what I'm most excited about because I would like to, I would love to get back into using Arc Trader. That would be, that would be cool. Something I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just out of the loop, but I did not see a Spectral Blades nerf coming. 
Uh, yeah. It's not significant, but I don't know who was asking for this. <laughs> it, it um, said, yeah, they said Night Stalker is among the most successful subclasses in the Crucible. So this change feels warranted. I, I, I don't see special plays that often. I mean, maybe I just don't play enough, but I, I don't know. That kind of came out of nowhere for me. Yeah, I I'm I get it, but it Spectral Blades has actually kind of felt like it's in a good place where if I know someone's popped one, I feel pretty confident in being able to kind of challenge them if if you have like a good kind of location in the map where it's like, you know, like cuz I I it's the same problem as like Arc Striders, like you can just kind of outrun Spectral Blades most of the time. Uh and I like if you're running certain like specials, I feel pretty confident in being able to shut them down. Uh, so I don't, I didn't think that it was totally necessary and it seems like such a negligible number, but again, they, you know, when they're doing these tests, they probably have some reason uh, and warrant for some of these numbers. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming either. Yeah. Yeah. That was odd. But, um, all right. One so thing I'm gonna... I did not see though is about bottom tree. Cause Oh, yeah, and I want to come back to the Boyd uh, Warlock with this one. It's just the same thing. It's like people talk about Top Tree Dawn and people talk about Gunslinger, especially in PvP, a lot. But right. of the few, like, let's say friends I know that do only PvP, you know, like they do only trials, carries, and all these things, and they don't really touch the, like, the movement's really good. And people use it, like, really top tier PvP players use it often. But it's like a few. You see them where because I, I don't play at that. You know, ELO, it's funny that, uh, you know, people complaining about the PvP changes and stuff because I don't think uh, it's going to be as as harsh as, as yeah. it sounds. I don't know what you I, guys I agree. Feel. I think in general, I think they're just like Top Tree Dawnblade. I don't feel like they're completely ganking it. I think they're just trying to bring it down a little bit. Um, and... To be honest, one of the, the 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 side things is like to see Behemoth is getting a little bit of love back because I feel like they definitely kind of over uh, nerfed it a little bit, so it's kind of good to see it coming back a little bit because like I, I know I know Titans like that was kind of a big hit for them, especially in PVE. Like it was so it was so nerfed that it was like it lost all utility in PVE, and that's kind of a bummer. Like. Um, like the I think I think all the new supers and the new subclasses are fun uh in PvE. And I understand that they had to kind of over over nerf them for PvP purposes, but then I feel like they did go a little bit too far. And so it's nice to see them kind of bring some stuff back. So uh shout out to Behemoth Titans getting a little bit of love as well. Yeah, that's a good one too. I also feel like it got hit pretty hard and uh, right. and it's fun. That's the thing. Like I think once they affect it in that way where people are, you know, they stop using it because, you know, it doesn't feel fun anymore. That's, yeah, that was a bit too far. All right. So to shift topics, we're going to start talking about the the thing that has everyone up in arms a little bit. Uh, everyone's got a different opinion on this. And there's some very strong opinions. And as punishment, Will, you finally decided to show up. What are your thoughts on the new shotgun sliding changes? Um, not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of any of them. Adding more RNG to like an already very RNG archetype of weapons is not good play, in my opinion. But 
you know, we'll see how it plays, I guess. Before I completely dismantle the idea, I want to play it first. But like on paper and just looking at it, it doesn't sound great. Okay. Yeah. Do you think are you in the, the camp that says um they're nerfing like a skill gap mechanic and that's not cool? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. That's that's what's starting to get scary. Is like instead of nerfing like weapons like abilities, we're starting to nerf like core gameplay mechanics and like skill gaps that like set this game apart from any other game. So I don't know. Again, I'll have to see how, how it plays on paper or in game, but right now it's just kind of. And I was like, I don't know who was asking for that. You know what me. I'm saying? Like nobody. Oh, well, okay, maybe there's one person. But, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I'll have to see how it plays. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I'm not a fan of if they nerf any kind of core gameplay mechanic and like skill ceiling, then I'm never gonna be a fan of it. But yeah. So so I know the two Robs have alternative opinions to this. Um. Robbie, would you like to, to start off? I mean, just like you said, like just how the game plays. I feel like if you're sliding, uh, and even though the perk like gives you more stability and things like that, which is kind of like the the you know purpose of it and stuff, like, I don't think it is the way it should be. Like having you know a tighter, more accuracy, everything, more range. Uh, like I feel like if you're sliding or doing some sort of movement. Just like as like, how are you forced? And I, I you talked about this uh, that you feel that Icarus adept Icarus group should still be like you know, a flawless, exclusive kind of per like uh, not perk sorry mod. So when you're in the air with your hand cannon, and that's why some of the top PvP players right prefer legendary hand cannons over exotic hand cannons because you can have Icarus grip and you can have the same accuracy in the air. So. How does it sound that like you are better while you're moving and sliding? Like I, I just don't get that sliding and shooting at the same time you're sliding is it should be a thing. I, I think that it shouldn't be a thing. But at the same time, that pellet spread, like 15%, is I don't feel that it's like even that much that's gonna change like a lot of things. And the people who like went from the shotguns to the to the other one, to the slugs, right? It's not even going to do anything for the slugs because there's no pellet spread anyway. So, like, a good guy, you know, with a chaperone is going to be, you know, just as useful with his chaperone regardless of if he plays, like, a sliding type of gameplay or, or doesn't because there's no pellet spread, so... But but I don't want to be restricted to an archetype that I don't enjoy playing with, you know? Yeah. I, I don't use but slugs. But you do, right? But do, you are restricted to using the shotguns to be competitive. Yeah, I mean, high in play. So I, like you, I, you are I, kind I of restricted to the meta, and and you're gonna. I mean, I don't know, but I've seen you play, and you do prefer shotguns over snipers, right? Because you feel more competitive with a shotgun. So I think that that's also a restriction. And okay. um, I feel like now that it got a bit nerfed, and I start to see like you know some adept plug ones in in the wild, and uh, other things that maybe I didn't used to see before. I think that's a good thing. I think uh, you know the restriction was really the meta in a way, and so you know having these other options that are also viable and it's not just gonna be the shotguns and the shotguns and the I don't know maybe that's how I feel. Then again, I'm not a top one percent PvP guy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with you know you can allowed to have an opinion. It's just. I'm gonna be allowed to disagree with it, <laughs> but I just I think right now everything's pretty usable 
in my opinion, at least. I mean, I see a ton of different stuff in PvP. I don't just see shotguns. I mean, I, I see tons of snipers, um, grenade launchers, fusions, linear fusions. Not as much linear fusions as what was it got? Arbalist got a nerf, but I don't know. To me, the game feels like it's pretty. As far as like weapon usage, I think it's pretty well balanced right now. But again, I could you know, I could be wrong or not taking enough games into account. No, I just. I don't, what about you guys? I feel like I see pretty much everything. I'll open this to, to Rob. You, you. So, talking some stuff I'm, so I'm probably not the one to ask because I'm, I'm probably gonna be part of the problem now. Where, um, I've always just liked fusion rifles because I feel like they have such kind of a unique feel to them, even though I know they're not, uh, super competitive. But I feel like now, they're probably gonna start poking their head up if shotguns kind of continue to like so fundamentally i i kind of agree with both sides i don't think it's an i think that the the slide shotgun kind of nerf was maybe a little unwarranted because i feel like when i play crucible and when i say that i mean kind of across i don't play trials a whole lot so that's that's one category but if you're looking at like like uh casual 6v6 play iron banner and comp you do see a pretty healthy mix of everything. Uh, I even see a lot of sidearm action lately and SMGs, which is like really nice to see. Um, but I feel like we're going to probably enter a fusion rifle meta soon if shotguns kind of continue the path that they're going down where people are going to want uh, a decent range special weapon that they can fry people with that shotguns used to kind of fill that role. And I could be wrong, but... It, feels like that's kind of the direction that we're heading um and that kind of worries me because i've always liked being kind of like the 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 not meta hipster guy who's using fusion rifles before they were cool and i feel like a lot of people are going to start using them now uh and that's unfortunate because then it's like are they going to get the chopping block like you know is is it is that going to be kind of what the sequence is where shotguns are having their their kind of abilities nerfed and then it's going to go into fusions and then who knows what the thing after that's going to be um so i i'm kind of disappointed with that i'm i'm assuming at the end of the day all of these nerfs are coming from the perspective of they're just looking at the numbers and shotguns are probably still the predominant weapon that's used above everything else um but i do think that there and will this is kind of like what you said where a lot of it is anecdotal, where it's like, what are you playing? What are you experiencing? What are you getting killed by? Uh, and it seems to be a pretty healthy blend. Like, I I don't find myself, like, slapping the table as often being like, oh, just another damn Felwinter's Lie user. Like, it feels like there's a little bit more diversity uh, within the game right now. So I'm curious. And I feel at the end of the day, uh, what this 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 slide shotgun nerf? All it's going to do is it's going to bring out uh, slide shot a lot more and slideways because slideways gives you stability when you when you activate it. So I'm wondering if that's going to be like the new kind of hot item to get for uh, shotguns because now it's going to kind of counteract that that stability nerf. But we'll see. I mean, nope, I mean, like, did that right anyway, and, and that's one thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, actually, to hear what you have to say about that, Will. That you know, everybody cried wolf when they nerfed quick draw, and then it didn't really change that much for specials. 
Uh, yeah, it, like the changes that they did, especially for 120s and stuff, like, yeah, we see a, a huge difference now with 140s being so, you know, used again. Uh, but shotguns didn't really go away, even without the quick draw. Like, it was just there were alternatives like slide shot, like surplus, like the, all these other things. And I do feel like, yeah, uh, fusions are really nice. And I agree with you, Rob, that you don't feel the same thing. Like, you see a healthy amount of, of variety when you do, you know, um, Iron Banner, things like that. And especially for players like me who just go in and work on my catalyst. So I'm, you know, I'm using random stuff. Like, I'm not actually trying to win. I'm not actually, well, I mean, I, I want to win, but that's, like, I just want to have fun and, and finish my catalysts and things like that. Uh, but when when I do go into trials, it's always gonna be you know two shotguns and a sniper, two shotguns and a fusion rifle. Um, so I feel that that's like a place where it's still like it's shotgun heavy, regardless. Yeah, um, I, I I really do think there's a healthy mix of everything. I think sniping is probably even better right now than shotgunning is, but. Again, we'll have to see how the changes play out. Like, I'm, you know, I, I really don't like it. But if it's another thing, like, I just don't like is adding the RNG aspect. You know, more yeah. pellet spread. Like, it, it's going to be so RNG hit or miss now. Like, you can't ever be sure if you actually think you're going to get that kill or something. And I just don't, I don't like more RNG in a first-person shooter game. So, I think every nerf they make to a special weapon is ignoring the root problem of special ammo economy yes and Agreed. and at the end of the day i think that's that's the core problem and you know they can ignore that as as long as they want and and nerf special weapons as much as they want but that's it's never gonna fix the game unless they address the core core issue here just my thought but um, will, will do you have uh, any final thoughts on any other sandbox changes before we move on to the next topic? Uh, no, not really. I just... Okay. It is what it is. I'm just kind of over it at this point. Like, sure. nothing I say or do is going to change their mind, so there's no point in... True. That's fair. So, <laughs> that's that's kind of where I am with the game of, like, at PvP as a whole. Like, I'm starting to look for other things, so... Yeah, yeah, I get it. So, then, for our next topic, we're talking... This one is a lot less salty and a lot less, you know, heated, a lot less... You know, it doesn't really mean anything. So we're talking our favorite patrol space and why. So it a lot. I spent some time <laughs> in patrol. <laughs> I wish Robin, I what's, could what's like your a little, you know, tent somewhere. And... Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite patrol space? Uh, well, I don't have the experience you guys have because I didn't play D1 and uh, I came into the game. Well, no, actually, no. The first time I played D2 were other planets, but I played it for like a day. And then when I actually started playing, uh, they were gone. So I never had a chance to go to Mars or IO or the Dreadnought, like many different places I haven't seen, except, you know, videos and, and things like that. So I think for me, and uh, just because of how fun it feels when I'm there and how easy I feel like I move around the place and how like comfortable I feel, is uh, it has to be Europa. I don't know. I, I feel like I have the rotation down of, of spawns, uh, you know, camping those like uh, big uh, um, mech robot guys that, that drop me a purple without having to do, you know, a bounty or anything, which feels kind of cheap because they give you something so easily. 
and uh, the the events are fun I, I like those and you know the atmosphere how it looks uh it, it, I, yeah i think europa has to be the one i honestly spend the most time in by choice yeah that's fair um rob what about you uh so i was thinking about this quite a bit and i think i'm have to gonna say the plague lands uh from d1 underrated and I would make the same argument that I made for why the Warden of Nothing is my favorite strike, um, because it was kind of the first time that they took an existing space, because you can go back to part of the Cosmodrome uh, in the Plague Lands. It's the first time that they kind of introduced this idea of the world was actually like really evolving um, and growing and kind of adapting to what was going on in the game. And so to be able to go back to part of the Cosmodrome and see it sort of like, well, first of all, sort of the snowscape was really cool. Uh, and But ultimately to see that like, oh, since some time has passed since we first started exploring the Cosmodrome in vanilla D1, this is how the environments change. And you've got areas and structures that are kind of like run down and destroyed. Uh, and now you've got this like SIVA infestation kind of growing everywhere. I thought it was like a neat, way to expand the world and make it feel like it's evolving uh and growing uh and then ultimately uh i still like the i i cannot remember the name of the activity um but you could go and do the the um kind of the social event the the public event that was there where it's you got archon's those, forge right? archon's forge thank you uh which i thought was a really fun uh just kind of drop in activity you can get some really cool weapons and armor uh, in that and it's it's just kind of a fun like I still you know when we were talking last week and we talk about what we do between uh, like seasonal content droughts uh, I will sometimes go into D1 and actually do Archon's Forge uh, just because it's kind of a fun like you can blow a bunch of supers and you get the Scorch Cannons and uh, for some reason you can have Shanks that have way more health than it seemed like some raid bosses have uh, and so I, I just think it's a really fun activity I think it's a really cool flushed out location uh, you can dive like all the way into the the reclamation chamber, whatever it's called. Like you can kind of explore mm -hmm. way down deep, uh, and so it feels like just a really cool expanded on area. So that's that's probably my favorite patrol activity or patrol space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely on my list. As is Europa. I just yes. don't know where where they land yet. Will, what about you? I always liked the dreadnought from Taken King. Cool. Um, I thought like, the whole entire like floating through space and like the hive thing, and then just how big it was it was super cool. And it was like super. Oh, this it's kind of mysterious, right? Like there were always something like weird going on that you didn't quite know like what the point of it was. And I don't know. I like the aesthetic and the vibe. Yeah, and Qu Court of Oryx was cool. And then, yeah, and then going around looking for forty-five calcified fragments, kind of. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, that, that was very familiar. Cool. I I will definitely say my favorite. One of my favorite kind of like experiences in D1 is when you first land on the Dreadnought and you do that one mission where you're trying to like put a, a patrol beacon or a transmat zone. Mm -hmm. And like when you when your ship explodes and then you if you make that 180 flip and you're just the skybox there is probably I think one of the best designed skyboxes like in the entire franchise as like as a whole thus far, like being in orbit of Saturn and just seeing like the debris from the battle and just it's such a cool and it and it gives you that perspective of how big this dreadnought is 
um, it's a cool way to start your experience kind of on the dreadnought. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's making me want to go back there. I got to go back to D1 and, and look at Plaguelands and Dreadnought and whatever. I'm so, telling you, we'll, we'll do a night so, where we'll do some Sparrow racing. That would be so fun. I would yeah. love to do that. Yeah. So I guess my favorite patrol space is the Dreaming City. Um, you know, not, not so much for, for loot or anything, but the Dreaming City always did have that, you know, element, that mysterious element that Will is talking about with the Dreadnought. Um, I've always just liked the aesthetic of the Dreaming City. And there's just so many cool activities and mysteries and stuff that even if you don't get like some cool weapon out of it, it was just interesting to explore. There's a lot of cool story elements behind it. Um, I liked the original idea that Shattered Throne was only accessible through, not th through the map, but you had to go through like the confluence area to get there. Um, there's just so, there's a lot of cool things in the Dreaming City, such as, um, how do you pronounce it? They were two skulls in this one area. They were named after like Odin's birds, like Hugin and Munin or something. And, oh, right. You know, the, I, I, one of the best parts of Destiny when it comes to exploration is when they don't explain anything and there's just kind of a thing and you just kind of figure it out. And that kind of encapsulates that feeling for me. You know, finding some random thing that you can interact with that gives you something, even if it's, you know, insignificant. I think one of them gave you like a tincture of queen's foil or something but yeah and then that speaking of tincture of queen's foil the dreaming city also introduced the whole ascendance mechanic where you could explore like an alternate dimension included in that patrol area um there's just a lot of like nooks and crannies to explore in there and i think the whole aesthetic is very cool and the curse week cycle is neat and blind well even if the matchmaking the non-existent matchmaking wasn't always great it was still a neat activity and you know i just i loved exploring that place i think that's definitely hands down my favorite place to explore even if it doesn't have maybe as much as europa i think it has just a, a cooler feeling i guess it, i guess when it comes oh. to patrol spaces it just kind of comes down to like aesthetic and vibe and personal preference but that would be mine i think i i mean i agree with you but like how i i think europa has way less things to discover than Dreaming City has. I, I love Dreaming so? City as well. Yeah. I, you know, when I was doing the eggs, the corrupted eggs for, for the Sparrow and all that thing, and there's a bunch of them that you actually have to do on patrol. And, and the cats also for that emblem. Mm -hmm, right. Just going to all these places. And I think maybe is the fact that on Europa, we got the fly point on the, on the top. Uh, so, so I could actually, you know, go from there. To, and, and that made it feel a bit faster. Just kind of like Cosmodrome for me. Like, I like the Cosmodrome because it's easy to do bounties in there. You can just go from here to there and there's the flight points and you, you can, you know, teleport to the new event and, and just knock out everything super quick. And I think in Dreaming City, it just feels massive for me. And I don't know if it's because of the lack of flight points. And That's that right. everything feels like a bit of a maze. Like you keep going up the spiral, you know, and then you're like all the way there because you went to find the Ascendant Challenge portal. And then it's like, oh, wow, now I have to walk all the way back to see Petra because I forgot to grab the bounty or something. So I think, yeah, I think there's it like a huge. There's an interesting element. I think there's a very cool element of the fact that there is not as many drop in zones. And I think the fact that like what you're saying like the lack of drop-in zones actually does add to like the feeling that it is a lot bigger than it really is and 
I think it's kind of cool because it forces you to like explore the area. And it's different from Europa in the sense that the Dreaming City is more circular in its map. There's kind of three areas in a little triangle, whereas Europa, if you wanted to get to Eventide, you'd have to go from, uh, whatchamacallit, what would have Varix's drop-in zone and go all the way to the other end of the map to right. get there. So it's justified. Europa's two places are justified. But Dreaming City is more... I like the map structure in the sense that you get one drop-in zone and it's triangular, so you can go to either Reyes Silva, Reyes Silvia, whatever it's called, or wherever the other one is. I forget what it's called, but the one by the public event thing with the reactor or whatever it's called, the right the right direction. Um, and you can kind of go to each of those main areas just depending on what you want to do or where Petra is or whatever. Um, and then each of those points on that triangle kind of sprawl off into little other areas that aren't as visible on the map. And then you got the blind well in the center. I think it's all very geometric, but at the same time, there's an element of exploration because there are so many little nooks and crannies to explore in each of those points. So there's a lack of drop-in zones, which adds to making it big, but it's still accessible with one drop-in zone because of the way it's structured. I think that's cool. The one thing I miss on Europa, and now that you're talking about it, it kind of makes me want to change my mind. I mean, I won't, but uh, (laughs) the blind whale. Is it's, it's fun. It's fun. Catalysts and, and, and things to do there, you know, just destroy stuff. It's fun. And mm-hmm. then on the moon, which I also enjoy, actually, uh, you have the Altars of Sorrow, which is also a crazy fun activity. And it takes like a whole, you know, entire area of the map where mm-hmm. you can still go. And there's, you know, the entrance to the Pit of Heresy. And there's a law sector. And there's all these things. And... Uh, even the, the other little part you have to go to to do the divinity run and the portal to the to the raid and yeah and I mean and why doesn't Europa have one uh, now I wish it did uh, yeah really do. yeah yeah I'm so I'm surprised it didn't considering the trend of all those public event style things escalation protocol altars of sorrow whatever that's that's odd I, so I guess here's a alternative question. Besides Mercury, what's everyone's least favorite patrol space? Mm. Will, what, what about you? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, least favorite? I don't really spend a whole lot of time in patrol spaces just besides doing missions. Um, mm-hmm. we... And I say besides Mercury, because Mercury is like yeah, the right. one to pick yeah. on. Probably Nessus. I think Nessus is boring too, even though it is. I think it's super boring. I, I, I feel bad saying that because, you know, it looks cool, but I just don't, there isn't enough in it, you know? I not a lot to do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I get that. <clears throat> I don't even think yeah. it's that cool, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I thought it looked cool. Like the, I mean, it's kind of like the palette's kind of bright though. It kind of hurts my eyes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I just don't think there's enough there to do to make it entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Rob, what about you? Um, this might be a hot take, but I'm not a fan of Destiny 2's Mars. Um, I I like Escalation Protocol, and I know that's going to be like everyone's argument for maybe why it's good. Um, I just didn't find like the exploration and kind of you know the remnants of this like Braytech facility to be all that like interesting. Um, and 
besides escalation protocol, I never really found myself doing stuff there. So I, I guess it's just kind of like by default because I'm not I'm not I was kind of underwhelmed by it. Um, and when like once you get the because like when it first came out, there was the you had to shoot like the lights with different element types to uh, uh, get like the sparrow and like that one triumph or challenge. Like okay. once you did that, like you don't really explore the rest of the the facility a whole lot. So I don't know. I just I found it underwhelming. Yeah, I think the Braytech facility on Mars kind of has the same problem that the Reese Reborn in Europa has in the yeah. sense that it's this extra area on the map, which is cool, except it's so aggressively linear that right. you have to follow this straight path mm. and it's very boring. And I think yep. Europa's, um, I do, however, like Europa's uh, creation area, the Exo place. I think that's cool even though it does suffer from that same problem too. I don't like the idea of having those extra places on the map be so linear and boring. And Just barren. And barren. Yeah, yeah nothing yeah. to do. Yeah, you don't have a reason to go there. You know, right. So it feels don't. like a waste. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Robbie, what about you? Least favorite. Uh, I do like Nessus, and I have like a really silly reason why. Um, okay, I, I don't like the movies very much, but I'm a huge uh, Star Trek fan. And the first one they did of the new ones had like this same look with like red trees and really, you know, bright sand and stuff. And so when I go to Nessus, it kind of tickles my nerdy side. So, <laughs> so that's why. <laughs> um, but the one I like the least of the ones I have to play the most, I guess, is the, the EDZ. Because uh-huh. uh, compared to the Cosmodrome, like when I go to the Cosmodrome, I feel like, yeah, there was this huge, you know, Russian airspace base or something. And then there's aliens everywhere. And it has like this, you know, whole thing that I feel like I'm on Earth, but like something's wrong. Uh, but the, the the EDC feels, I don't know, too bland, like in, in, in a bad way. I, I there's some areas that are kind of cool to look at, like the giant tank and all those things. But like, it, I don't know. I just feel like it's super boring. Like, I, I really like I get incredibly bored in the EDC. OK, that's so, fair. I, so I, like, I, I, I sorry, go for it. No, go ahead. I, I was finding uh, it. <laughs> I was going to say that's kind of what. So I was going to say like kind of my follow up for like maybe favorite is Mars from D1 um, because kind of the same way, like you said about Cosmodrome, it's like because that facility is like slowly kind of being like consumed and buried in the sand and you're just kind of exploring the remnants of like there used to be clearly something here and now it's just being sort of like lost to the the sands of time. Um, it's kind of a neat and like, yeah, aliens have just kind of taken it over and you're trying to like reclaim it back. And also the idea of like, like the cabal have discovered this portal that they don't really know what it's for, but they're, they're trying to figure it out and like kind of the mystery behind what's going on and that it turns out to be an entrance to the black garden. Um, I like, I, that's why I, I like that patrol space. And that's, I think kind of comparing it to the Mars of D2 where like, yeah, it's kind of neat. Like the, the ice caps have been kind of melted away, but you just kind of see the aftermath of that. You don't really get to like experience it as you're going through. Um, so I, I, and that's why I, I kind of agree with you. Like EDZ is kind of meh uh, compared to like maybe the Cosmodrome, which has kind of this like, yeah, it, you could tell it used to be this like bustling location um, that had a lot going on, but then it's just been like due to entropy and, and you know, years of just of negligence, kind of like it's being degraded and falling apart. Whereas like, that's why I, I keep picking on Mars from D2, but it's like, it's all like, everything still seems so shiny there. 
and it doesn't quite make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. I so for my one of my least favorites, if not least favorite, then at least overrated for me. This is kind of a hot take. Um, feel free to argue with me. Destiny One's Moon, I feel like, was kind of boring, and I think that's mainly because it's just visually is boring. Like I, I get it's the moon and it's gray. It's hard to make the moon look cool, but I, I don't know. It's just the color palette. I think kills it for me, just because I feel like the whole thing just looks boring, and the catacombs of the hive kind of have that same problem that i have with like the ascendant plane color palette in the sense that mm. it all looks very monochromatic and you know the surface of the moon is is no different from the catacombs in that sense that it's also very monochromatic and i just don't think it's very visually interesting i think okay. destiny 2's moon helped because yes. i think it looks, looks a lot cooler also it's way bigger and you've got the scarlet keep and everything i do i love destiny 2's moon i think the lighting looks better it just looks all around better and there's a lot more to do, obviously. But Destiny 1's moon, you know, I, I remember a lot of people getting very excited when Shadowkeep came out. And they're like, oh, they're bringing the moon back. I'm like, that was probably my least favorite patrol space in Destiny 1. So and I, I, I like agree with you. Sorry. Oh, okay. No, so, so sorry, I, I keep interrupting. I'm, I'm so No, you're fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're fine. So I agree with you in that the D one moon patrol space was kind of underwhelming um and kind of ugly i always thought the immediate area around the hellmouth was so cool because like especially with vanilla d1 it's like what the hell is going on here you know and you can mm-hmm. kind of start to like descend down if you do like the strike um uh the summoning pits right you you kind of like descend down around it and you you can kind of like from the side see down in there um but i uh, in the same vein of expanding evolving universe evolving world why i like shadowkeep and why it came back is yeah because you go back to the moon but you kind of get a feeling like well since we've not gone back to the moon in a few years in that time the enemy has constructed this giant castle oh and by the way parts of the moon are continuing to kind of rift apart and areas that were maybe closed off are now being exposed like the lost sectors are now available and so i think that really leans into the expanding and evolving world and i'm always going to argue that that's like my favorite part is when the game does that well, where, uh, again, you can make an argument that some of this is kind of like a nostalgia thing, like, oh, we're going back to the moon or we're going back to Venus. But I like when they do it in some kind of way that makes you feel like, well, we have to go back because the world has has changed because of some of the activities and and directly because of some of the stuff that we're doing. And yeah. you feel that like we've created a power vacuum within the hive. And that caused this to happen and this to happen. And now the darkness is here and they've constructed this giant castle uh, and and all of that stuff. And so now we have to go back and actually like fight a new evil that's that's come back. Um, and I think Shadowkeep did a fantastic job of yeah evolving the moon in that way and making it way more interesting. Because, uh, yeah, it is pretty boring and, and kind of ugly in D1. Um, besides, that's my favorite part of 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 the moon and always kind of has been just that that surrounding area but but yeah i think i think i don't think that's a hot take i think that's a a reasonable yeah okay cool yeah i agree with you i think um you know the evolving world thing is really important and yeah you were just mentioning like oh we created a power vacuum in the hive and stuff and that just made me really excited because you know i think that concept is so cool because there was that whole story with the um whatchamacallit the scarlet keep basically 
like the Crota's daughters or sisters or something had like essentially like a little Hunger Games in like the bottom of the keep and stuff to like pick their new Crota or something. Yep. And just the whole evolving story is very cool. And I, yep. and I agree. And, you know, that's what makes going back to old places cool. And right. that's, again, why Cosmodrome was a missed opportunity. But maybe that's not. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but and, and that's also kind of with Vault of Glass. Like, it seems like with the Hive doing the shenanigans that they were doing this season of the Splicer, that there would have been at least like a dialogue piece with like, um, I'm totally blanking on the the Fallen that we're teaming Mithrax. up with. Mithrax. Like it would have been cool if like the day that Vault of Glass opened, like before you could access it, you had to go talk to him at the helm or something. And he's like, hey, I'm getting some weird stuff. Maybe you should go back to the Vault of Glass. Like just <laughs> some kind of like, tying it into season of the splicer to have some kind of logical reason. Cause that's where it's like, it's hard to justify like the bringing back old content just to bring it back. Whereas like with shadow keep, it felt like there was a legitimate reason to bring back the moon in terms of like how it fits in with like the darkness and, and like a new foe has appeared. But with like going back to the cosmodrome, just to go back as like a starting hub to teach players how to play the game. Like, yeah, that's kind of cool. But the, it hasn't changed in any substantial way to really justify. And same with like, I love Vault of Glass. I'm glad that we go, get to go back. I think it's it's kind of cool how they've updated it in some capacity for for hit, for fitting in with D2. But they didn't really give a legitimate reason in the story to go back down into the the depths of Venus. Mm. Yeah, and and I thought about that while you were talking about the the Shadowkeep Moon. But at the same time, it is kind of hard to bring back Vault of Glass. In the sense that we killed Atheon already, and right. you know, you, kinda, you have to ask yourself as a as a I guess a story writer, like, does killing Atheon again cheapen the original Vault of Glass raid? Um, and that feeling. But I I do agree that there were probably probably was a way to work it in somehow. Like maybe the Vault of Glass in Destiny Two is like a simulation of the original or something, and right something like that. But but yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. It, it's hard though to bring back sometimes original or like D1 content and still keep it like completely intact, like right. as it was originally, while still adhering to like the current story. Because right. you know, things have changed, so obviously that makes things more complicated. I see both sides, and at the end of the day, I guess I'm just happy that Vault is is back though. Yeah, no, but I, 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 so I agree. Like I, I, more content, even if it's reused content, just more stuff to do in the game. It's great. And it's very clear that the way that destiny is kind of evolving. And when I say destiny, I mean, destiny too. And that, you know, it's maybe the, maybe the goal or hope all along was to have one complete game where you could do everything. And it was kind of this like constantly evolving thing. And and, you know, obviously with Destiny 1, there was limitations. And and so they had to kind of like move on. And may, maybe Destiny 2 is kind of that opportunity where, yeah, you can actually bring back certain areas that we've already been to, bring back certain raids, bring back weapons and armor and all that stuff to kind of make it feel like it's one complete comprehensive game. Um, and I think there's always going to be cri- criticisms of that, of like, well, this is just, you know, lazy, just bringing back old content. But I think that you can do it in clever ways. And I will say with, with bringing back uh, the will of Crota strike and making it kind of this like, um, what is it called with Navoda? What is she referred to as? Um, 
disgraced disgraced uh, yes yeah and and having it where it's like it's basically the same strike they even have the same music kind of the, the story beats of the strike are the same but at least they cooked up some kind of story to say like oh there's some new wizard that's kind of been taking over the cosmodrome and now she's kind of lost her grip on even her own people uh that at least was an attempt to make it kind of uh mm-hmm. you know uniquely feeling and they didn't mm-hmm. do that with with Fallen Saber or the Devil's Lair. And and I know maybe it would be cheap and you could probably poke holes in the plot. But if they're like, if the Devil's Lair, if it was just like, hey, we just reconstructed a new Sepix and you have to take this again, one out. Yeah. Like, but again, you could probably point like poke holes in that and be like, oh, that's just lazy writing. But at least it feels like there's some reason that he exists again in D2 after seven years of having when you originally defeated him. Like it at least would kind of feel some kind of, you know, make some kind of sense. And same with Fallen Saber. It's like if you had Fallen Saber, you know, Rev 2 or something or 2.0, it's like, okay, yeah. well, they they built another one and they're just trying the exact same thing that they did before. It's like, yeah, maybe it's lazy writing, but at least it it makes sense in the context of why there's like another one. But Sure, sure. And, and I agree with you in the sense that Devil's Lair and Fallen Saber should be, you know, get yeah. the same treatment that omnicle did right but when it comes to vault of glass i feel like vault of glass is too significant to change because you know no one particularly has an emotional attachment to whatever the name of the fallen saber boss is but right comes to the original raid in destiny i feel like atheon and the vault of glass is is so significant right if changing it might upset people i could be wrong but sure no that's that's fair um i will say though that they did when when Rise of Iron came out, they did do a half decent job of kind of revamping a couple of the strikes uh, where it's like going back to the Shadow Thief. Uh, instead of fighting Tanix Ascard, you fight Tanix Perfected and uh-huh. they kind of they fit it into the plot in some way uh, or same with like the Nexus where it's like it's been taken over like Secreon's become what the subverted mind or whatever uh, where he's been like taken, um, which I think mm-hmm. is like it's a cool way to at least justify like why like and and even i feel like it's even like kind of a fourth wall breaking thing with like tanix discard where it's like he keeps or no with uh with uh um omnigal she keeps like undoing her death uh it's like why do we keep running the same strike over and over again and why have we you know defeated atheon uh you know countless times uh I, I don't know. I feel like they could they could do some kind of clever writing. I'm sure that you're right in some capacity that there's kind of this like passion and and devoted love to to Atheon and like, yeah, destroying him the first time had kind of an important implication in the game as a whole. And maybe that would be a little too sacred to 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 change that. Um, but I don't know. That's why I'm like, if all you had to do is have Mithrax say, hey, you know, Atheon's time you know because he's times conflicts right so maybe he's undone his death as well yeah, or i'm yeah. sure there's some lore master could shoot me down but <laughs> you know just it just it would be you know how i don't know how much of an effort it would be and i'm not going to pretend to know um but mm-hmm. to try to at least give some kind of reason for bringing some of these things back because it does feel a little like yeah they're just bringing them back versus like having a reason to have them relevant in the world as it stands because that's like that's one of the biggest things that I find to be important. And I've brought this up multiple times is that concept that the world is evolving and changing. Um, and you only get that sense when you have kind of these like in game, in story rationales and reasons for that happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 
and I, again, I totally agree with you. I guess my last comment for this would be because I feel like I'm just talking about this too much. But my last thing I'll say is that um, what was I going to say? At, at a certain point, explaining like strike bosses coming back over and over again, like when do you stop? Like, does anyone ever stay dead? You know what I mean? Like, if you did it for like every thing you ever brought back, it. I guess it does kind of cheapen it in a way, even if it is insignificant. It's like, do we ever kill any boss ever if they keep coming back? That's that's fair, and that's I, I yeah. All right, no, I'll, I'll yeah. You can, <laughs> you can just kind of throw the blanket statement out there of like, yeah, maybe it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Um, I, I just I I I just found it neat in in D one when they did bring back a few of the strikes for you know at various times. And they tried to at least like they they would change up the fight in some way or change the boss in some way. And they gave some in-game explanation for at least why you're doing it for the first mm-hmm. time. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that that uh, Sepix Prime has become Sepix Perfected um, yeah. or that Tanix has become Tanix Perfected, like because it worked in the, the 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 context of Siva being a thing. Absolutely. Um, but I, I agree. It, you don't really need to have the rational explanation of why do you do the same strike over and over again? Um, other than like insert random explanation that it's a simulation and you're getting prepped for the actual strike or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, sure. You know, but that and that's always going to be like, how do you explain raids? Like once you defeat Atheon the first time or you, you know, you defeat Axis or, you, you know, you defeat. I, I think the only one that they did really, really well was when you defeat Callus and you find out that he's a robot. Oh, uh, yeah. And and there's just like thousands that. of them. Like that's mm-hmm. the only one that made me like chuckle the first time where I'm like, hey. They they kind of called attention to the the major elephant in the room of poking holes in this this raid concept. So sure, sure, sure. Mm. I, I think when yeah. it comes to bringing stuff oh, back, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I've oh, talked one question it. just before you leave that topic because this one, like, I guess it's the same answer you just gave. So it may be a bit pointless, but like someone who studied architecture and like talking about the patrol spaces and the architecture of the Cosmodrome and and the moon and stuff. Like, I love the Scarlet Keep. And I love, you know, the feeling and how it looks and how it's constructed and everything. But my big question has always been, like, after going there, like, how did the Hive manage space travel? Don't the Ooh. Hive, like, they use space magic, right? Like, they're, they're yeah. weird. Like, the Hive tomb ships just kind of, like, appear from, like, portals and dimensions. Yeah, they don't seem that smart. Well, <laughs> that's, that's the... <laughs> I don't know. I think they are. They just have a different outlook on life hmm. or at least that the higher ups are smart right? yeah like savathun like one of the smartest characters in destiny i would assume right. being the mastermind puppeteer behind everything apparently yeah true, true. well there's like a whole like hierarchy with the hive right where like the thrall and the cursed thrall are yep. like you know and that's why they're they're trash mobs but yeah like the wizards and knights and like because don't don't act like acolytes become hive Yes, they like meet a certain like set of requirements, basically, and and well, and of course, there's a whole thing with like the sword logic and everything like that. But I think I'll, I think I'll, with the with the hive, a lot of what you can explain, because yeah, they're just like a very primitive species. But yeah, there there are some higher ups within the system, like Savathun and Oryx, that were like very advanced. Um, but a lot of their 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 source of power and how they can travel interdimensionally and all that is like explained just purely through space magic. As opposed to like the fallen, which are, you know, an intelligent species that has developed technology and weaponry and, you know, all this stuff. Same with the Cabal, right? Like they've actually developed their technology. Um, 
in the same way that we have, you know, it's like we're just a species that evolves normally. But I think the hive, yeah, it's like they made some deals with some gods and got powers, and then now they can just their ships are just made of magic, uh, and with paracausal energy and all that that fun stuff. That that's something I love about Destiny's story and genre bending, is that yeah. it's, it's the same. You could have like exos and stuff in the same game, where it's like, oh, I mean, theoretically, it's that's possible, maybe in the far, far future. And then you have stuff like the hive magic, where they're just like, this doesn't make sense. Don't try right. to understand it. It's just right. magic, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is right. cool. <laughs> it's like one thing that makes me laugh is you know, like a ball dogs, right? Mm-hmm. And then there will randomly be one that is like a higher rank dog. I, I forget how they're called, but it's like uh, uh, war beasts. Yeah, but there's yeah. one that is like the war beast, and then there's one that is like, I don't know, something about medals being like a, a really special war beast. And I always thought that was fun. Like, what does these, you know, what did these dog do to, to be like, better <laughs> they got than promoted? Yeah. promoted. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's funny. Wait, have, Robbie, have you done Leviathan? No, no, I never did. Oh, there's dogs in there. Yeah, oh, those dogs. Yeah, what's the difference between those dogs, story-wise, and the normal dogs? They like have as much health as a raid boss. Yeah. So in in the Leviathan raid, the first of the three, one of the encounters is you have to kill what? There's like five or six dogs. Six. I think there's six. I could be wrong. Yeah. There's six. Yeah. You have, you have to kill six dogs, and they've got a butt ton of health. Um, and it's a it's a weird encounter where you're basically running around collecting like pollen from flowers, and that gives you a buff to do damage on them. Um, it can also detect you forty miles away. Not even yeah, their them, so their weird cool. detection was like stupid. Sometimes it didn't make any sense, but it's kind of a fun mm-hmm. encounter. Oh, yeah, they, I just, think I like, just Gorgon, it up. like yeah, insane. there's a ranking system for war beasts, and yeah, the ones I was talking about, are honored war beasts. Yeah, um, there's, okay. there's more. There's loyalists. They're royal. Um, the loyalists are the cowhounds. I know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I guess even war beasts, you know, have like something to aim for in life. Which <laughs> good for them. <laughs> I'm proud of them. Anyone else have any final thoughts before we move on to our next topic? There's something you wanna wanna say about patrol spaces or war beast rankings or something. In that case, we will move on. So for the next topic, um, now that I've talked enough, um, this one I don't have as much to say. But you guys definitely do. Time loss weapons, time loss freight bringer, time loss shotguns, whatever. Um, so Rob, um, did you get a time loss freight bringer? I did. And yeah. I saved, like everyone else, I saved up a crap ton of spoils and then got the challenge done and then blew a bunch of them and went, you know, the first one that I actually got from completing the Templar was the best role that I got. Um, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I, I We've talked quite a bit about kind of the adept weapons on here. And I will say, I think the time lost are probably the more interesting ones because you do get, you know, two different sets of perks for each column. And that does add quite a lot of fun to it. And and the I really do like the way that they did the time loss because I know everyone was waiting for the fate bringer because that's kind of like that's the role that everyone likes and that's the role that everyone remembers from D1 being so, you know, so awesome. The explosive payload and Firefly 
and and I, despite the the countless fate bringers that I've gotten doing kind of the normal raid, uh, I didn't come close to anything as good as this role. So it was nice to be able to get a guaranteed, like, you know, a deterministic drop on one that you know at least has some value and utility. Uh, and then anything kind of beyond that is like bonus. Uh, so that's that's that was really fun and really satisfying because it did give me a reason to grind out the Templar. Uh, and I, I for some reason, had a really tough time with the, the fire team that I did it with, where we took way longer than we probably should have. And so when I finally did get this one, it, it was satisfying and felt good. So as a whole, I like the time loss weapons. Uh, I think they're cool. It'd be interesting to see more kind of in this style where they're a little more difficult to get, quote unquote, difficult. I'm doing air quotes. Um, but having kind of that deterministic drop um, perk pool is, I think it's a nice uh, addition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's cool that you get like the curated role as well as right. customizable things. One thing, uh, yeah, I, I don't like complaining and I'm not complaining here, just, just an idea. It would be cool if you could combine perks like, wait, what am I thinking of? trying to think because you can only have certain combinations right like well, yeah, there's some that only roll on the third column and some that only roll on fourth. maybe if you wanted two that are on the same one then you can yeah 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 that's yeah. what i was thinking okay yeah if you wanted two in that top column like it would be cool if you got all four perks without the restrictions of columns if that oh. makes sense yeah, I was kind of thinking about that, actually. Like, it'd be cool if the time loss actually, like, maybe flipped what was in those columns. So you could get kind of, like, roles that you couldn't get from, like, the the default. Because that is definitely something we said, like, besides being able to put the Adept mods on there, some people already have, like, the Explosive Payload Firefly perk role. So it's like getting the time loss one wasn't really that big of a deal, other than now you can conveniently swap between two other perks. So, yeah, having it actually be like a slightly different perk pool would have made it interesting but then you know blah 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 insert power creep argument and that, that's probably why you couldn't true mm. true that's a fair point that's a fair point yeah. um, i think for me that was the thing like i know you get the same role as i did rob and uh, right. for me that was the, the thing that i really enjoy about the, the one that i kept is that i mean explosive i kind of already wanted it uh, right but then on the fourth one i i can switch from frenzy for higher end content to firefly for lower end content exactly and, and keep the same one and that's one that because i had the the one curated well let's say curated perks on on my regular one and it was fun but firefly is a bit you know it doesn't proc as much on on gms and things like that right so having frenzy uh really helps so that i can bring it there and uh yeah now i have both on one gun so that i'm happy i'm really happy with that uh, but I think now, after spending 500 spoils on Fate Bringers uh, just the other day, uh, the shotgun is the one that I'm I'm gonna be aiming for. And then again, I I feel like I sound a bit, <laughs> you know, uh, I I shouldn't be saying that because I just literally complained about the same thing. But like, if I I guess if I'm gonna have like a, a shotgun for PvP, uh, that's probably uh, the one I'm gonna be aiming for, uh, oh. at least as a as a PvE player. Uh, so yep. Spoils going into shotguns from now on. Mm-hmm. What is the shotgun? I didn't even know if all had a shotgun. What is the found... verdict? What is it? Found verdict? Oh. Yeah. Oh. I see. Cool. Cool. Will, did you get your hands on any time loss weapons recently? Fatebringer, shotgun? No. I don't have the shotgun. I think 
get the shotgun, you have to do all the challenges, right? Correct. Yeah, and this uh, yeah, was the I'm last one. Close. So, like, if you yeah. had all of them done, you this week, um, you would get both the Fade Bringer and the shotgun. Right. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't. I don't have any of them. I, I don't know. I don't really have a big desire to get in there and do it. But I mean, if it if I do it, then great. If not, then I'm not too worried about. It. Sure. Sure. Do you know why that is? Like, why? What's your reasoning for not being compelled to to get it? Oh, uh, because I my debt pally. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you got enough. the thing you want, and you don't want. Yeah, it. Yeah, I got the thing I want. I mean, like it's like. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to have one. I just don't. Sure. Feel the need to get in there, and I don't think I'm missing out on too much. So yeah. Sure. 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 Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, am. I however, it's just uh, I guess the difference between you know this one's a kinetic kinetic and the other one's an energy so having both you know depending on the on the special one i want to carry so now i i either go for this or i go for the palindrome uh that's that's basically i guess the biggest reason why i think you know if you ever want to carry a an energy special instead of a kinetic special something like that then you have this one all right i see both that's that's fair i I just think fundamentally it was a great way for for all of them that, yeah, they were kind of throwbacks to the original like D1 roles, or at least as close as they could be. Obviously, some of the perks like aren't the same or, or exactly the same, like like with Pradius, uh Revenge um, and and with with um, Found Verdict, right? Because Vorpal Weapon didn't exist. It did have like Final Round, I think was what it was on the vanilla uh, D1. Mm. Anyway. Uh, having having kind of that fundamentally, if nothing else, if you've gotten nothing but crap rolls on Fatebringer, having a deterministic like you know at least you're going to get the OG you know explosive firefly. Um, I think that that's kind of a cool way that they did it, and I think that that's that's fun and so. Yeah, it guaranteed kind of almost for everyone. Just do it exactly. Once and you get something that is already pretty good. So. Exactly. But yeah, that was a good one. And it and there's no other raids in D two right now that kind of have that level of kind of like guarantee. Or if you if you grind through this challenge and you do complete it, you're at least going to get this fate bringer or this uh, vision of confluence or this found verdict. You know that like yeah, maybe some of the other perks on it aren't great, um, but at least you're going to get the the traits on there that you want that will give it some utility in in activities. So I'm looking at this list of Vault of Glass weapons here, and there's this one at the very end that I didn't even know existed. It's Rob. I, I wonder if you're familiar. I hate with you this. so much. <laughs> it's this exotic fusion rifle. Yeah, I have no idea. I've never <laughs> seen it before. I'm convinced it doesn't. That is called the Praetorian foil. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, I actually, I I love that fusion rifle, but. What do you mean that auto rifle that is like mistakenly uh, named in the game? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, the Praetorian foil looks kind of cool. It's got little flaps awesome. on it. All right, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a bet slash gamble right now, and I will probably be 100% dead wrong. I am assuming that at some point the remaining weapons from Vault of Glass will come out, but they're gonna do it at some later time. I'm probably dead wrong. But I think they're going to save those for kind of a quote unquote rainy day. Because um, I, I think I think them not being in the game is unfortunate. I know why I, I think I understand why they didn't put all of them in there so that the perk pool is a little more kind of like narrowed and, and defined. Um, 
but I'm hoping at some point we'll get like Avion's epilogue and Praetorian foil. That would be a good way to bring back like Master Vault of Glass next season or something. Yeah. Because for now, like there's, I mean, as a fate breaker myself, um, I have no reason to go <laughs> back to Vault of Glass anymore. <laughs> Well, but no, but you're absolutely right. Like once once you get everything in the game or in the raid, if you've done like the Vex Catalyst, uh, yeah. you know, unless you're really, yeah, you periodically feel like running a couple raids to try to get a roll for like a found verdict. Um, there's really no reason for you to go back in there. Um, mm. And so, yeah, it's having having like a interesting. Ha- revitalizing yeah. the perk pool in a couple, maybe not next season, but like the season after or something would be, mm. I think, kind of a clever way to like, hey, let's all jump back into Vault of Glass for a while again and and maybe even have incentive to do Master because we're going to do the time loss versions of those as well. Like, I, I could see that being a thing. And that's why I'm kind of convinced that maybe they'll do that at some point. Like, they're gonna, they'll, they'll have the rest of the weapons, but they'll, they'll kind of save it for a rainy day. Yeah, because I think they did try with the high stat armor. So, like, every week you would get, like, especially when it was, I don't know, intellect or, or something right. like that. They thought people would go back in, and uh, but we already saw that it didn't work because nope. people are just doing the checkpoints anyway. Right. Um, yeah. So n- not enough incentive. Yeah, I agree. I it's fun, but I, like I I've actually yet to do a complete from 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 beginning to end master run, um, because I can't find a group that actually wants to do it. Everyone just wants to either yeah. do the challenge or Atheon. Um, because there's really no incentive to, and I know we've talked about this before. It's just like, that's just kind of the current state of the design. Um, yeah, it's cool that you can get, uh, like enhancement prisms and you can get golf balls. Um, but you know, that's not really enough, especially when GMs are a lot easier to farm. Um, not really an incentive. Templar. That's, that's became the new farm, right? Right. For spoils. Absolutely. Shards. Yeah. Spoils and shards galore. Hmm. That's cool. I want to get around to doing it at some point. I want to get around well, to doing crossplay, it. Normal. Crossplay is coming, so I, I'm sure uh, Rob and I could could get you through it. Yeah, I'd love to. Looking forward love to. to crossplay for sure. Hell yeah. That'd be awesome. All right, so if, and if no one has anything else to add, that looks like it's going to be our time for this week. So Thank you guys for coming on the show and talking as usual. And thank everyone out there for listening. And um, without further ado, we will see you guys next week. See ya. Ciao, ciao. Questions, comments, or something else you want to say? Email us at eventideradio at gmail.com or get in touch with us at any of our Twitter handles, all of which can be found in our podcast description.